good to see everyone. Good morning. Uh, my name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, welcome to Chinese Church in Christ South Valley. Um, I'm going to start with sharing a little bit about family. So um, do, you, do your families have any unique family rituals? Have you ever thought about that? Another way of asking this question is, um, have you ever gone over to someone else's house for dinner or something, um, and they do something really weird and different, and you're like, what's going on there? But have you ever, so have you ever thought that? And then have you ever thought this? My family does things that are really weird to other people that I just take for granted. The, the time that I first re uh, realized this was when I got married to Ashley, my wife, and I started to spend a lot of time with the, the Jin family. So my family is the Gillum family. Her family is the Jin family. So uh, I would go over to their house. Like, we, we go over to their house quite often. And there are a lot of weird kind of rituals that I had to get used to, right? Um, so let me give a few examples. So number one, uh, dinner in the Jin family is a really big thing. Dinner in the Gillum family is not. Okay, so the Jin family always eats dinner together at a table. The Gillum family like scavenges food from the refrigerator and then goes to our separate corners of the house and eats alone. Like that's what we do. Now I'm not saying it's good, I'm not saying it's bad, it's just different, right? Let me tell you about the Jin family dessert ritual. So we have, we have dinner and Ashley's mom um, has way too much food, like way too much food. And then after we finish dinner, we wait for about 30 minutes, and then Ashley's mom brings out way too much dessert. So I kid you not, we have had like four or five different desserts all at the table um, at like 30 minutes after we had a huge dinner, right? And then get this, that's not the end. So it's like eight o'clock dinner, um, way too much food. 8.30, dessert number one. 10, 10 o'clock, 10.30, dessert number two. And they bring out like fruit, cut fruit or different things. So it's like watermelon. And there are little, these little um, two-pronged toothpicks that you stick in. So Erica knows. <laughs> Is this like a Chinese, um, Asian American thing? I don't know. So two-pronged toothpicks, not just one. It's better for gripping the watermelon, right? Um, so that's another interesting ritual. My family doesn't Dessert is not like a thing. My mom has certain desserts that she likes from Trader Joe's, or sometimes we would get like, um, like bar, like mango bars from like the Taiwanese grocery store, different things. But it's not like you eat it together. You go get it when you want, and then you have it. Right? Ritual number three that the Jin family does. Actually, there are a bunch of there are a bunch of really interesting ones that are really different. It took me a while to get used to them. Um, ritual number three is how the Jin family says goodbye. So this one is really unique. If my wife and uh, Sarah are watching, they know what I'm talking about. Um, ritual number three is how you say goodbye. There's a very specific procedure for saying goodbye to someone when they leave the house. What you do is you go to the door and you like, you know, say goodbye, goodbye. They go out the door, they go to their car. You don't close the door. You don't turn around. You basically peek your head out the door, wait till they're in the car, not only wait till they're in their car, wait till they drive, like back up into the, into the street, and then only once they drive away and you wave goodbye, are you allowed to close the door. Does anyone else do that? <laughs> now, okay, my family is not like that at all. Like, I swear, when I go to my parents' house, like with my, um, my wife and my, my son, uh, like my parents, they, they just like don't say goodbye. They say goodbye, but they don't even greet it, like walk to the door with us. It's like not a thing, right? Can you guys think of any particular strange family rituals that you have? I'm curious, does anyone have something like that that they want to share with the group? What do you think? Another one our family, uh, the Jin family does is gift giving. Gift giving is a really weird big deal. Um, it's holidays and gift giving is not as big of a deal for my family. Um, my mother-in-law, at I feel like almost every single event where you give gifts, like Christmas, birthdays, etc., but definitely for Christmas, 
um, gives this one specific Italian fruitcake that no one likes. And so, like, there's basically giant bags of, like, presents and goodies and snacks and stuff. And she gives that to everyone. But in that bag is always one, like, one of these, like, it's like a square. I forgot what it's called, but it's like a square fruit tart. And we don't like it, but she always gives it. And so one, the last time for Christmas, we saw a gigantic version of that at Costco. And we gave it to her. So get her back. And then no one ate any of them, (laughs) right? So now I want you to think about this for a second. I've been talking about all these unique family rituals, and I want you to think for a second about our topic that we've been going through, where God is someone who puts the lonely in families or in homes. And we have been saying how, number one, God, out of his character, out of who he is as God, out of his love for us as uh, the Trinity, one God in three persons, Uh, It is his pleasure to take people who are lonely and bring them into his family. And first, that means he has a relationship with them. He adopts them into his family as children. But then secondly, what God does is God doesn't, it's not just about like my Daniel, I am adopted son of God. I have a vertical relationship with God. I pray to him. I spend all my alone time. I'm singing to him all the time by myself. Actually, what God does is he puts the lonely into a new household or a new family, and that is the family of the church. Um, So God has like a two-pronged plan to deal with our loneliness. And one of the things that I think is really important is we have all kinds of ideas about what church is. And I would say many of these do not include this incredible truth that we are a family together. If you are a believer, if you have been adopted into God's family, then it puts you in this enormous, global, multicultural family of people where you have different family rituals than the family of origin that you've grown up in. And honestly, this is both the beauty and it's also the shame of the church. Um, It is beautiful because there is this incredible ideal that has been manifested, put into practice by many, many Christians over all of history. And yet it is to our shame that there are many people who say that there are believers and Christians who have done the exact opposite of the family ritual that that the Bible talks about that God has placed in his family. So basically God is like a father and he's setting the culture of his family And then at many points, and this is a huge apologetic question, uh, basically, how can we understand that the church, that Christianity has been uh, so responsible for so many evils and um, atrocities in the world? And religion has led to violence, it's led to war, it's led to oppression and abuse. There are scandals, there are people in power who are taking advantage of weaker people within the church. Those are all real things that have happened. And so when I'm talking about the family rituals, I concede that that is a true thing. However, I would say one simple way of addressing this apologetic question is just to say, whenever Christians act in that way, and then honestly, this is not like an impersonal question where all the bad people are out there. When I do something that is inappropriate for our family to you or to people in the family of God, Um, It is only because I am not sticking to the script. I'm not sticking to God's intention and the family rituals that we do within the church. Okay? You guys get that? So this is what we do in the Jinn family. This is what we do in the Gillum family. What do we do in God's family? How is this a unique counterculture? How do we treat each other differently? Um, And that's where we're going to see in the text um, what what God's family rituals are. Now, this is just the start of the, this is just the start of the second part of the series. And so what I want to do today is I want to give you uh, either two or three, depending on time, I want to give you two or three family rituals um, that should be characteristic of any body of believers. We're going to go through them and see how incredible and beautiful they are. And then I also want to give you some examples of how Christians in our church, Christians outside of our church have actually put this into practice. And this is a way to say it is both necessary to live this way, 
but it's also possible to live this way. And there are plenty of amazing examples of people who have done this. Um, and then the other thing is I want to see how, I want us to see how this all comes out of a very unique motivation that is uniquely Christian, okay? The way, the reason we live the way we do comes out of unique motivation, um, and that is, uh, it is based on our identity. So will you read with me our passage for today? It's really quick. Um, I, I'm going to read chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 through Ephesians chapter 5, verse 2. So we're going to read this passage, and then we might go to one more other passage later on, but I'll read that when we get to there if we have time. So this is God's word, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. This, these are the family rituals that are appropriate for the people of God, the family of God. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant, fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Uh, this is God's word. Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, uh, you are so gracious and good and loving. You are so glorious and powerful and majestic. Um, you are so good that you would um, send your son to die for us and bring us into the family, um, into your new family. Uh, and yet, God, we, could, we admit freely that we are sinners and we wrong each other. Um, but Lord, we thank you that you've created a family where we can be gracious and forgiving and loving even to people who are difficult like us because you did it first. You model for us what it looks like to love difficult people. Um, and so I pray, Lord, that as we read from your word, you would give us uh, a taste of the beauty of your people, your church, um, and then you would also be growing us into people who can live this out well, um, that we would be thinking of examples of people who have lived this out well in our lives, and that you would turn us into people who love the way you do. Um, we can only do this because of your grace to us and your power, so I pray you would give us that power to live this out. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the first thing I want to see from our text is um, in chapter 5, verse 1, where Paul says this, be imitators of God as beloved children. So there's something really interesting here. Uh, when many people have the impression of what it means to be a Christian, many people think that Christianity is about doing certain behaviors. There are bad behaviors and there are good behaviors. And as a Christian, you try really hard to do the good behaviors and avoid the bad behaviors. Um, now, if that's your view of Christianity, I think you're missing something. Because Christianity is actually, uh, I would say, unique in some ways from every other world religion. Uh, many world religions have the same or a similar ethical system. What I mean is, if you look at Buddhism, uh, there, there are unique parts of different religions. If you look at Hinduism, many religions have something along the lines of the golden rule, where it's do to others as you would have others do to you, right? Many, many religions practice giving to the poor, like helping the needy. Christianity practices all of those things. What is the difference, though, in Christianity? The Christ, in Christianity, at the heart of Christianity, the power to do these things comes out from a new identity, and it basically, rather than pleasing God through doing these good things and getting his favor through doing them, Christianity says, we are desperately in need of God's salvation and grace before we can do anything good. And once we have this new identity, once we become part of God's family, then we start to learn what it means to live as a family member of God. So just the way that I became part of the Jin family, um, it, it was like very shocking. It was, sometimes it's like kind of difficult to like be part of a new family and adapt to all the new rituals. They're really, really amazing. And in many ways, their family is like, like healthier than, than my family of origin, you know, like the dinner and stuff, all kinds of stuff. Uh, but 
It can be hard to adapt to new family rituals, uh, but here we see this incredible statement where the ethical imperative here is to be an imitator of God. And this is really important because the word for imitator here means, it's basically the word mimic. Uh, so the Greek word mimic, uh, there's a lot of different words that derive from that. There's like mimetic, which is like maybe some of you art people, maybe Erica or some people know about this. There's mimetic, okay, you don't, but it's okay. Uh, th there's mimetic art, which basically tries to create a realistic representation of something. And then there's abstract art, which is like a bunch of like random splotches of paint all over the, you know. So a mimetic painting would be like, I'm gonna look outside the window and I'm gonna try to paint and create realistically this tree. Or I'm gonna paint a portrait, that's mimetic. Um, the other types of art is abstract, it's like impressionistic or whatever it might be. But here, God says, or Paul says, be imitators of God. And right off the bat, you're like, really? Be a mimic of God. Here, here's another word. Be a mime. Be a mime of God, right? You guys know what a mime is? The people with the, like, big gloves and, like, Mr. Mime is the Pokemon, right? Whatever. Eric, just, that's for you. You're welcome. <laughs> Eric loves Pokemon Go. He's, always, he's probably playing it right now. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, Mr. Mime is a mime, and a mime, like, doesn't say any words, but they just imitate. You know, like, I go over to Grace, and they... There's this, um, there's this TikToker where she's kind of like a skinny girl. She goes to a gym and she goes to the like strongest, buffest dude who's doing like a workout. She stands really close to him and she just copies whatever she, he's doing like in kind of like a joking way and then she looks over at him and then he's like, what the heck are you doing? <laughs> she's being a mime. She's imitating someone. She's being a mimic. She's imitating someone. And so here in the first verse, it's so incredible. Paul says, be imitators of God. Be a mime. Live and love and have personality and character and goodness the way that God acts and is. His character, his um, redemptive plan, his actions. But the basis for that is because you have a new identity as beloved children. And this is a really, imp this is a really important kind of doctrinal or theological point. One major difference in Christianity is all the other religions would say, here are some ethical imperatives. But in Christianity, all of the imperatives, all of the things you do, always comes out of who you are. And so Christianity, uh, when you look at Paul's letters, he says, be who you are. Be a different person because you are a different person. Be a member of God's family because you have been adopted into his family and you have the status of a child adopted by God. Um, not only that, you are partakers of the divine nature, which means you have the ability to be like God. Um, and as a child, there's a really interesting metaphor here where if you have taken any child development classes, I don't know why I ask, I'm sure some of you have. Uh, for those of you who have taken child development classes, what's really cool is kids learn by imitation, right? When a kid sees their parent, and so like I have Toby turned five months a little while ago, super duper cute. Um, one thing you notice about him is when you smile at him, he imitates you and he does the same smile. And then sometimes I've been doing thing, a thing recently where I do this really lame fake laugh and I go like, ha 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 ha, and then I stare at him and then he starts to giggle. <laughs> it's really cute. This is, how, this is how Christianity works. Um, Christianity works, it does not work by people saying to you, you gotta do this, you gotta be good. You know, like, and if you don't, you're a bad Christian. It looks like you learn to do it by looking at what God has already done and what God continues to do. And out of that experience of God's love, it says here, beloved children. Be imitators because you are beloved children right? And so what's really cool, the way that God loves you is the power, it's the model by which you can imitate him and love other people. And this is how, this is how the body of Christ is such an incredible, beautiful picture of God's plan to deal with loneliness. Um, God deals with loneliness 
not only by addressing the deep inner emptiness that we experience because we were made to be in a relationship with God, but he also creates a body of people, a new family, where we can love one another the way God does, and in a sense, be the tangible hands and feet of God to express love and care for one another. Now, our church, there have been so many incredible examples where this has happened over the course of the pandemic. There are really too many to mention, but um, basically bringing food to people who are sick, like, you know, Dan got COVID. Um, so this is why I'm preaching rather than him. And like, I, I, like one, I was asking him, I was going in and out to paint with Jer. Um, paint, we're painting 101, or we probably finished it by now. And um, after that, I was going to go in and out, get some food for me and Ashley, and I asked Dan and Enoch if they wanted any in and out. And he's like, no, we have way too much food. People have like dumped off like packet, like tons and tons of food at our house. We have to eat what's already here. And that's just one small expression of the tangible love that people have shown um, because giving that food and caring for tangible needs is an expression of the way that God tangibly cares and provides for us. Um, and do, do you get what I'm saying here? So when people love in the church, they are doing it because they are imitating God and because they have already experienced the love of God. It is imitative, and over time we learn the family rituals and we learn what it means to love people. So I want to keep on going, and I accidentally closed my Bible, but let me find it real quick. Let's look at the next verse. This is expressing again what the new family ritual is. The first family ritual is love, okay? So, and love is kind of like a vague, sappy, sentimental word. But the, the word for love here, I think, will be defined by, uh, by the verse. So let's look at this next one, number two, verse two. First family ritual. Walk in love as Christ loved us. Now, this is really interesting, right? Same pattern. Before, we are imitators of God. We love because God loved us. Here, walk in love. Why? Because Christ first loved us. And 1 John says, uh, we love because God first loved us. But what is love? Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I'm having a really hard time saying fragrant today. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So the first family ritual that we see here is love. And love is not um, simply a strong feeling. It's not just having happy feelings towards a person, because those things fade, or those things change over time. Real love is messy, it's gritty, it's like changing diapers when you don't want to. It's like trying to love someone right after they hurt you because you promised you would, because you committed to this person. Real love is far more, um, and this is the Christian view of love. Um, the secular or cultural impression of love often has to do with chemistry and feelings, right? So in love songs, uh, there's the chemistry, right? Like where it's like, oh my gosh, this person is so attractive. I'm so in love with them. Oh my gosh, I'm on cloud nine and all the you know sappy love songs. Uh, Christian love is defined, that is an aspect, that is actually an important element of Christian love. Um, and another way of saying it is you could say it's like erotic love or whatever. Um, if you guys want to do something really uncomfortable, go read Song of Songs right now. Like turn to your Bible, go read Song of Songs. Christianity celebrates erotic love within the context of marriage. God created sex. Sex is awesome. God celebrates sex within the proper context. And so erotic love is an important element of love. But here, um, Paul is talking about a different element of love, which is um, agape love, or this is sacrificial love. This is committed love. This is loyal love. So this is like... Uh, this is like uh, walk in love. When it says walk in love, he says walk in love as Christ loved us. So Christian love and Christian community should be characterized by this unique form of love. What is different about Christian love than other types of clubs or groups? What, it, what, is the, what creates belonging within a club or group? Shared interests, uh, shared life stage, you go to the same school, you're part of the same frat, sorority, whatever it might be. That's what creates the commonality and the group identity. 
In Christian love, we walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So there are a few things you see there. We love as Christ loved us. Now, when Paul says Christ loved us, what are you thinking about? When you think about me, Daniel, and Christ loving me, what do I think about? Um, I think about God loving me because he made me. I think about God loving me because he's my father. I think about a lot of different things. But in particular, what Paul says here, when it says he gave himself up for us, Dan talked about this earlier on when he talked about the adoption, um, the doctrine of adoption. But God and Christ's love for us is fully expressed uh, through his love for us when we're at our worst and when we're sinners. And this is something that should uniquely characterize Christian community, where because God loved us while we were still sinners, um, in Romans 5, 8, one of my favorite passages, God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is honestly what should characterize Christian love. It is love for people who sin against you. It is love for people who are extraordinarily difficult. And it is this kind of committed love where you basically say, you might hurt me, you might wrong me, but I know that I've wronged and hurt God, and yet he stayed committed to me so much that he would send Jesus to the cross to die for me. And those are the lengths to which I'm willing to love you. Can you guys, have you ever thought about someone who's loved you in that way? For many of you, it's probably your parents. For some of you, it might be a friend or a person you're in a relationship with. That is a really profound, beautiful definition of love that is far deeper than many of the definitions that our culture gives. To love someone is to give yourself up for that person. And not only when they're at their best, because it's really easy to love someone. Um, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, uh, basically, it's really easy to love people who love you. Pharisees, love you, you, love, you, guys, you guys love people who love you. That's real easy. Or he uses a different example. Um, it's real easy to love people, to greet people who are like you, right? These are two things that everyone can do. Like when someone loves you, and they're expressing their like adoration of you. It feels so good. You know, my wife says, oh, I love you, Daniel. And it feels so good, right? But that, I mean, <laughs> that, that's easy love. Everyone feels that way. If someone says, if you're a girl and a guy comes up to you and says, I love you, even if you don't love him back, it feels good. And it, there's something very natural and easy about loving people who love you. But then Jesus says, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then you're like, what? Why would I do that? You do that because you're part of God's family, and this is a family ritual. This is a family ritual. God loves his enemies. God loves sinners and is willing to sacrifice for people so that his love can transform them. And an incredible thing is that this works in practice. I'm not saying the outcomes are always like what do you want, but I'll, I'll, always remember, um, I'll always remember this one thing that happened to me. I went to a basketball camp a long time ago. Um, I think I was probably in elementary school. I was probably in fifth grade. And I remember uh, there is this one, like I was playing, you know, like I was short and I like dribble and make layups and that's all I could do. I would pass, steal the ball, dribble, make layups. I couldn't shoot. Um, I was dribbling and then this one guy like just shoved me really hard. And I like fell over, got fouled, whatever it might be. And then in that moment, I was like, I got up and I was like kind of mad. And I was like, Ugh. and then he was like, you know what, man, that was messed up. I'm sorry. And then in that moment, I was like, I can hold on to this or I can let go of it. And I said, you know what? I know that Jesus says to love my enemies. He kind of feels like an enemy now, but he asked for forgiveness. I'm going to forgive him. And then for the rest of the camp, like we were best friends. It was really interesting where it's basically like if you are willing to love your enemies, sometimes it actually transforms your relationship with people. If you're willing to reconcile and forgive people, it actually can lead to incredible friendships and goodness. Um, but anyway, uh, the second thing about Christian love that's unique is Christian love uh, does not simply love people who look like you or who are like you in different ways. And, you know, we go to a Chinese church. And so many people in our church are Chinese. But there is something incredibly wrong with our church if 
we only greet and welcome people who look like us, people who are relatively well, like middle class socioeconomically, relatively educated, come from China, come from Taiwan, relatively affluent. If those are the only people who we see as people in our family as Christians, if we think our Chinese identity is more important than our Christian identity and being part of God's family, something has gone terribly wrong where it's not, it's a lesser love than Christian love. Because Jesus says, if you only greet people who look like you, that's not real love. Anyone could do that. But instead, God the Father sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. And so we should love people who are different. We should love people who don't look like us. We should love people who are difficult. Can you see how these ideals in a community, if practiced, make this a really welcoming, loving, forgiving, gracious community? Is it easy to do? No. But is it possible to do? Yes, only to the degree that you experience the love of God for you as your father. This is how it works. This is the secret. The degree to which your deepest identity is that you are a beloved child of God is the extent to which you can put this into practice. The extent to which your deepest identity is that you are a beloved child of God is the extent to which you can put this into practice. Um, let's move to the next family ritual. It's actually in the passage right before this that we started by reading. Um, let's look at verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. So there are certain things that are not appropriate within the family of God because that's not how God relates to people. So there are a bunch of different words here like bitterness. And when you read these lists that Paul gives, it's important to try to understand what each word means. So bitterness, we kind of know what that means, right? Where you kind of like often, uh, rather than expressing anger, like you don't punch someone in the face, you just feel venom towards them quietly. And a lot of the times they don't even know it, but you hate their guts and you're just going to hold. And then sometimes if you're really lucky, there's an opportunity for you to get back at them in a really subtle way. Like you can talk about them behind their back. You can do something like you can not invite them to a party and you take that opportunity and you take great pleasure in it. That's what bitterness is like, right? Or that's what malice is like. Malice is to harbor ill feelings and want bad things to happen to someone. Why is this inappropriate for a child in God's family? Because of the next verse. Instead of that, which is very common, you find that in churches, and honestly, if you've met uh, religious people who are, I would say, legalistic, who don't understand the grace of God, often these are the people who are characterized by bitterness and anger. And so they might do all the right stuff, they might serve in church, but because they don't understand the grace of God, they are bitter. They have a lot of malice and anger towards God and towards other people. It's really, really interesting. Instead, instead of that, there's a new family ritual. The second one is forgiveness. So look at this. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So out of all the different, out of all the different world religions and communities, this is one that should characterize Christianity. Um, let me go through it real quick. Be kind to one another. Um, in the church, to be kind is to always be on the lookout for how you can help other people. And this is actually, you would think this might be easy. It is not easy. To be kind, to love someone, means to take your eyes off of your interests and what you want and seeking and sacrificing to help someone else. So for Toby, I constantly have to do this and it is very challenging. So for example, uh, you know, like he's having a hard time going to sleep. He's just like crying and screaming in my ear. Do you know what I love to do when that happens? Which maybe this makes me a bad parent, whatever, is what it is. Um, a lot of the times what I do is I put in my AirPods and I listen to a podcast because he has been wailing in my ear for 30 minutes straight and I cannot handle it. I need to distract myself. I need to stop paying attention to him for just a little bit so for the sake of my sanity. Now, you know, I'm, I'm not a perfect parent, like that's fine. But is most of your life characterized by that same desire to turn inward and always care about yourself 
over the people around you. Do you know what I mean? There's a really, we're reading 1 John in Vertigo, and there's a passage where it says, like, if you uh, see someone in need, like, see someone who needs help within the church, and you close your heart towards them, that's really, really sad. Like, so he's basically saying, tangibly love people in the church who need help. That's what it means to be kind. Um, and it says even here, the same kind of word or meaning, be tender-hearted towards one another. Where, what's the difference between like a callous, callous skin and tender skin? What's the difference between a callous heart and a tender heart? A callous heart is rough, it's hardened, it's tough, it doesn't let anything in. Like if a, a, a calloused heart, um, you see someone in need, it just bounces right off of you because you have stuff to do. I'm busy, can't be bothered, I don't care about you, whatever. I, I got to look out for number one. That's what it means to be callous-hearted. But here in the family of God, be tender-hearted, where honestly, things affect you, right? When you see really terrible stuff happen in the world, you are affected because your heart is sensitive and open. And a tendency we can have is to be so busy with whatever we're busy with, with studying, with work, with life, for me, with kid, like with family life, that we are just... I just don't have the time. And over time, if you continue to make choices where you say, I'm too busy, I'm going to look out for myself rather than other people, you find that your heart becomes callous. It's like habitual callousness leads to a hardened heart where you're not sensitive to feelings, like you're not sensitive to other people. You're not looking for ways to help them. But those, so those are two really cool elements. But then the, the third one, or sorry, the second one that I'm having beginning, second family ritual, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So Christian community is not perfection. It's not sinlessness. It's not like never doing anything wrong. This is superficial. Superficial Christian community are communities where everyone puts on a happy face and they smile to each other. They cordially make polite greetings with each other after service, but there's no, there's no depth. There's nothing else there. True community Family-type community is you are close enough to people that you start to fight and you start to experience friction and tension. So within a church, we are no different. Um, we've been making a lot of additions and changes to the church. Jeremiah has been working really hard to beautify our church. But there have been church schisms about what color the drapes are in the sanctuary. Not at our church, but there's a lot of, <laughs> there could be, like, I don't know, like we're gonna change the flooring. Maybe there'll be a, the great CCIC South Valley schism over the floor color. Honestly, people have different ideas about what's good, what looks good, what's best. They fight about it. That's okay, because when you get close to people, when you have real relationships, you're not so afraid of conflict that you just shove your feelings down. You actually communicate what you want, but you can do it in a way that's loving and gentle, and you can even let the other person have their way. But when it does happen, when we hurt each other, we forgive one another. Why do we forgive one another? Because that's how God in Christ forgave us. So this is the second family ritual. It's really, really strange. This is a really strange one. There is this uh, incredible story in Charleston uh, in 2015, I believe, where there was a shooting at a church, and there were, I, I think there might have been nine people at an African-American church who got killed by a white supremacist. Uh, his name was Dylan Roof. And when he was being sentenced, there were multiple people from the church that expressed forgiveness for him days after he had committed that terrible crime. That is so incredibly countercultural and strange. That doesn't mean that God is not a God of justice and that they didn't desire for justice. But there was one lady whose 70 year old grandma got shot and killed. And she was able to say, I forgive you. And honestly, she said, uh, I have mercy on your soul. Like, I have mercy on you. Basically, she's saying, like, I hope God has mercy on you. That's very, very strange. The only reason, the only way you can do that and have the power to do that is if you deeply understand how God in Christ has forgiven us. Where I am a sinner. And in, if in certain circumstances, 
it is possible that I could commit atrocities like that. If my life went a certain way, and if sin took a hold in my heart um, in, in, a, in a certain way, that sin, this, the same seed of hatred in my heart that I recognize could potentially grow into something like that, something that terrible, if enough time happened, and if I wasn't rescued by Jesus. Um, but that is what it looks like. I am such a sinner. I am so desperately in need of grace. Uh, God forgave me. And therefore, when I look at other people wronging me, I don't say, I'm so much better than you. You suck. Like, I'm not going to forgive you. I'm going to hold against you. You say, look, you sinned against me. You hurt me. That's real. It hurts. But at the same time, I want to imitate my father. I've seen my father forgive sinners. When Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And I want to imitate my father. I want to be like him. And forgiveness is so incredibly powerful, where forgiveness can actually release that person and, and set them free from their hatred. And like it can heal them. When you forgive someone, this incredible weight, you, you lift it off of their backs. And it's so good to be free of that guilt. It's so good to be reconciled with someone. And because God acted first, we can be the ones who act first too. Where when you're in a conflict, you can say like, you can express what they did wrong and you can just say like, it doesn't even have to be like, I forgive you, I no longer hold it against you. It can just be a small gesture saying like, we're good, you know? And you don't have any bitterness towards you. You can express that to people. That's what Christian community looks like. This is not easy, but it's possible as you understand who you are as a child of God and as you experience God's forgiveness to you for you. The third thing I want to say is um, the final part of verse 2, chapter 5, verse 2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave us up for, gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And we're just going to end with this new motivation that we have to do these things. This is the only way you can live these things out. If you're trying to live it out to be a good Christian, it's honestly not going to work. The only way you can practice these family rituals of love, of walking in love. I love the word walking in love or the phrase because for this culture, they would have walked everywhere. And so there's this picture where I need to walk to the next city. It's 20 miles. It is just one step after another for a consistent long period of time, right? And so this is basically saying your lifestyle should be characterized by the love of Christ. You walk in love. It is so natural for you and so consistent for you to show self-sacrificial love. It says Jesus gave himself up for us, where rather than me always saying, I want to get ahead, I can say, how can I give myself up in love for the people around me? And then you can think about what this might look like. You know, you're studying, you're stressed about the test, but then your friend says, like, I'm in a way worse position than you. Can you help me get this project done? And you say, okay, you know, like I'm going to let go of my own interests for a second and try to help them. So you're making a sacrifice. You're going to stay up later. It's going to be harder. Maybe you get a, a worse grade, but you do it because you love, because that's what Jesus does. That's what it looks like to walk in love. It's consistent. It's over time. And then you grow in it. Where as a child, like Toby, he doesn't know how to talk yet. Eventually he'll know how to talk. He'll know how to walk. He'll grow up. As he gets older and older and more mature, he will hopefully see things in me that he wants to imitate. And over time, he'll become an adult and he'll become a man. And he'll be more and more like his father over time, hopefully. And then he will be better and better at following the same path, the, the same values that I have. And I mean, I'm not saying like I can predict how it's going to go, but hopefully that will happen. And the same thing happens in our Christian life with God. As we see his love for us, as we experience his grace for us when we sin, we become more and more tenderhearted. We become more and more able to live this out for people around us. He gave himself up for us. And then this is Christ's motivation for doing it. He says, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So we walk in love. We are other-centered in the way we live our lives, which is always uncomfortable, but it's good. Always uncomfortable, but always good. Why do we do it? because we want to make a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So the motivation behind doing this, I want to please my father. 
I am a beloved child of God. I admire my father. I've experienced the love and hug of God. Like we talk about the Holy Spirit, where the Holy Spirit bears witness to our spirits that we are children of God. And again, there's this illustration that I like always sticks with me. A Puritan gave this illustration where he says, the difference between knowing God loves you and experiencing God loves you is the difference between a son walking by his father and then at one moment, the father grabs the son and throws him up into the air and gives him a big hug. And this is the experience we have where we know God loves us, but often we can experience the hug of God, his, his love for us as beloved. Do you, do you realize that? Do you know how much God loves you and is pleased with you and delights in you and forgives you and is conscious of you, paying attention to you? God is not distracted by his phone when he's around you. He is giving you his undivided attention. And as a result of that, as you experience that, you want to please him because you admire him, you love him, and so your life becomes a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to him. Where when you're doing these things, you experience joy. It's no longer a chore. It's no longer an ethical system that you have to follow. It comes naturally out of this overflow of love that you have for God and for other people. God changes your family rituals, and he makes you a family that loves one another, that is other-centered rather than self-centered, a family that forgives when other people wrong you, it's very realistic. This is actually very realistic. The Bible never acts like, like slander, like bitterness, like hatred, like immorality. It never acts like these things aren't real issues that we deal with, even within the church. All of the letters in the New Testament are written to a bunch of sinners like us, and all of them are basically saying, Put away those things. It's not appropriate for people within the family of God. Instead, put on love. Walk in love. Walk in forgiveness. Is this easy to put into practice? Over time, as you see God's love for you and experience God's hug, it becomes the most natural thing in the world. Where, honestly, I would just say, um, you have to think through this. You have to think through the way that God loved you you have to understand the way you sin against God and acknowledge that you are wrong. But then when you experience his grace and forgiveness, that melts your heart and you can honestly say, God, I'm sorry I grieved you. Can you forgive me? And then God will forgive you because that's what he does. That's, he loves you and forgives you. And that frees you to do the same to other people. Uh, this is, these are the family rituals. The final one is from Romans chapter 15 where it says, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. Welcome one another as Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. We should be characterized by, a, by people who are welcoming. And I'm, I'm an introvert, so this is not like super easy for me. I'm not, like, it is not natural for me to be like outgoing and to like try to make people feel comfortable and talk to them. Uh, but over time, as I experience like honestly, other models within our church of people who have done this, um, as I experience other people welcoming me, like one person who did this for me was um, our former English pastor, Fred Mock. Fred Mock was constantly reaching out to me and asking if I wanted to like lift weights together. And he was very like outgoing. And a lot of that is his personality. But he cared and he expressed that care through expressing interest and asking me about stuff, even though he was really busy. And that changed me, where I was like, I want to be like that. I want to be a person, I'm going to express it in my own introverted way, but I want to be someone who shows interest and listens to other people and reaches out to them and wants to like show love and, and care for them. One example, lots of other examples within our church of people who have done that. Greg welcoming a million youth to his house for millions of years, the welcome of God, the hospitality of God. God welcomes everyone. It doesn't matter what you look like, people who are different than you. That is the hospitality of God. Why do we do it? For the glory of God. So people can say, God is so good that these people would welcome me into this family. We are adopted children who want to adopt and welcome other people into family. And our family rituals are so amazing and beautiful. They're not easy. It is, love is gritty and difficult and painful 
and sacrificial. There's like many, many parts of love are beautiful and joyful and wonderful. But at the same time, walking in love is gritty and painful. It's changing diapers day after day. It's waking up late day after day. You know, and it's like parents who are older, they, they know. They know that's what it's like. Will you walk in love? Will you be committed to other people within this, in the body of Christ? Uh, will you forgive? Once we do this together, we'll commit a commu- we will create a community that God intended to create, that we, we will be the community that God created who puts lonely people in families, who loves people who need help, who forgives people who need grace. Um, and this is a wonderful, wonderful place that we can be. And this is what it means to be part of the church. It's not a place where you listen to a sermon. It's not a place where you get inspiration. It's not a place where you sing songs because you like music. It's a place where we can be family together. We can, over time, come to know each other more, trust each other, show love to each other. Um, And again, this is not easy or simple. It takes time and it takes commitment. And over the course of the rest of the series, I hope we can go into more practices and look through more um, scriptures that show us what it means to have deep relationships rather than superficial ones. Um, God loves you guys so much. You are his beloved children if you've put your faith in him. Do you realize that? And does that excite you? Does that capture you? Does that change the way you walk and live? I pray that it would, and I pray the Holy Spirit would make it real to us so that we would be able to give God glory. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Lord, I thank you that you forgave us in Christ, that you saw us in our sin and need and desperation and loneliness, and you came down Uh, to die on a cross, and you forgave us, your enemies, so that we could become your adopted children. I pray, Lord, that many people uh, today would come to realize that truth. I pray you would make it real to their hearts, and they would experience your grace and goodness through your Holy Spirit. And then I pray, Lord, that your love, our experience of your love, would transform us into people who are loving, who are welcoming, who are forgiving. And this would be the family rituals that our church is known for. I thank you for the ways you've already been doing that in our church. I um, pray that we would more and more walk in love and that we would be welcoming in many, many people who can experience and taste and see your grace and love for them uh, through our lives. I pray we would be a fragrant offering to you and every day, we would be able to do that. I thank you for your love for us, how pleased you are with us as your children, how patient you are with us when we fail. Um, We love you so much and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.